Well, good morning. All the students right down front. Splash. That's a splash zone. I can't spit that far, just for the record. Hey, good to see you this morning. Today, I'm always excited to start a brand new series of messages, and that's what we're doing today. We're launching a three-part series called Table Talk. Table Talk. Just some random not random, just some family conversations. Yeah, I'm just going to stand up here and whatever comes to mind. But here's why we're having these talks, because in 2020, the goal still is by Easter that we'll move uptown to our new house. And um, yeah, yeah. And speaking of that move, inside of your program today, there's a lot of stuff, but here's a blank page, right? It says Table Talk. I know you've got questions about what's going to be and what's the move going to be and what's the building going to be and what about and what about and what about and how about and this and that. I want you to write at least one question on there and today at the end of the service when the buckets pass, drop those in there. You don't even have to put your name on them. But I'd like to do that. We're going to field some questions in week two and week three. Um, and so your question and, um, is important. We'll see, we'll see what happens, right? So here's what I want you to understand today as we kick this thing off is I want you to understand the heart that drives Crossroads Community Church. That's what I want all of us to get. But here's a question for you. I want you to look through your whole life that you can think of in a quick moment. And I want you to think of a time that stands out to you where you were uninvited, that you were overlooked, that you applied for something and you didn't get it, that there was a party going on that was going to be the party of all parties and you didn't get an invitation. I want you to think of the most gut-wrenching time in your life where you were unwelcomed, uninvited, overlooked. How many of you doesn't take very long to think about that day? Good. Let me tell you about an experience I had years ago. I actually saw someone else that kind of got uninvited. And to me, it was one of the most heartbreaking moments in 32 years of ministry that I've ever had. And it impacted me so much that day in such a profound way that, quite frankly, it impacted this church and still does to this day. I was a young preacher. I was probably 24, 25 years old. I was in Hudson. I was in line at a grocery store, which is a whole thing in itself because I don't do that much. And uh, it was prior to Easter, and I struck up a conversation with a man that was also in line at the grocery store. And I asked him just a simple question. I said, hey, what are you doing for Easter? And he said, I had a, he rattled off a couple things. I said, well, let me ask you, do you have a church home? And he said, no, I'm, I, I don't really do church anymore. And I said, well, there sounds like there's a story there. Do you mind if I ask about your story? He said, yeah, I went to a church in this community last Easter. And he said, you know, I'd, I hadn't been in years and years and years, and I went, and I went for Easter, and he said it was, it was all right. And he said, as I was leaving, there was a gen two gentlemen standing at the door, and as I started to walk out the door, the one gentleman kind of put his hand on his shoulder, and he said, sir, uh, glad to have you today. Uh, let me just tell you, if you come back next week, please dress appropriately. Well, you did what I did. 
And I'm like, I wonder how he was dressed. And I said, if you don't mind, how are you dressed? He said, I had jeans on and a button-up shirt. And the man just said, well, when people come to this church, they wear their best. And if you're going to come back next week, we prefer that you wear your best. He said, I'm not going back. I said, I don't blame you. I wouldn't either. I said, I'll tell you what. I want to invite you to our church. I'd never wore jeans on a Sunday morning in my life as a pastor, but I said, I'll wear jeans and I'll wear a button-down shirt and you come. And he did. And I told our people that Wednesday before Easter, I will never, ever again make my dress make somebody else feel unwelcome at Crossroads. Our church is about you come as you are. We, we, yeah, yeah. And we set our dress code that day. Our dress code at Crossroads, please do. Yeah, just put something on. That's, that's what we're hoping for. And uh, we, we'd appreciate if you'd do that. All right? So uh, anyway, let me ask you this question, though. Do you think that man felt welcome? Of course he did not. Do you think he felt invited? Of course he did not. Crossroads is a place where people are welcome. So if you've ever felt ashamed, if you've ever felt unworthy, you've ever felt unwanted, I want you to know, and I want you to hear maybe for the first time, maybe not the first time, but maybe in a way you've never heard this before, one of the truths that Jesus taught, and this is huge for every single one of us, not only do we need to get it, we need to be reminded of it, we need to focus on it, because when we move next year, listen, it's a chance to reset some bars. And every time we've moved in the history of Crossroads, we up the ante. We refocus. We laser focus. And this, I believe, is a catalyst. So if you would, take out your message outlines. You can follow along, fill in the blanks as we go. Let me just tell you, for those of you that are ADD or anal like I am, and you're like, oh, you're itching to fill in a blank, it's going to be a while this morning. All right? Just, I'm just giving you a warning. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to dive into a story in Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. I want to give you kind of a, the setting, kind of the context of what's going on. This is about 2,000 years ago, and Jesus was still walking the face of the earth. He, he had come to do God's business, right? He was God in the flesh, and people didn't know. They didn't know what to believe about him. Is he a crazy man, or is he really the Messiah? They had an idea of what a Messiah was. I'm not sure he's it. But certainly everyone or most people would have thought if Jesus was indeed God in the flesh, he certainly would be in favor of the Pharisees who were kind of the religious elite, if you will, of that day because they were the rule followers, they were the religious people, they were kind of like the spiritual police. They had all these elaborate outfits that they wore and these long tassels on their heads and they, they, they had these real in-depth conversations that impressed people with how spiritual they were, right? They were the ones that didn't hang around with unclean people. They didn't hang out with sinners. Sinners, they didn't eat with them. They didn't drink with them. They didn't hang out. And so their idea was if Jesus was God in the flesh, he'd be for the Pharisees. Well, one day a Pharisee named Simon decided to throw a party at his house. Now, I want you to know it wouldn't have been a party that most of us would want to go to. It, wasn't, it was much different than the party we'd have today. There wasn't going to be any karaoke. You know, they weren't doing a hot dog roast. They weren't, you know, going to sing the latest Jewish rap songs, nothing like that. It was very different from this. 
And when these Pharisees would gather for these house parties, they would kind of be the who's who of the Pharisees, right? It's kind of the elite, if you will, and they would put on this display. They, they would gather in this room, and they would talk about impressive things, and they would have these great theological debates, and, and they would do these discussions to kind of show off, if you will, their wealth of knowledge, now, and when they had these house parties, if you will, this was really neat. They would have a meal, and they would normally do it in what they would have, kind of this outer room in the house. And the outer room was kind of at the edge of the house, and most times would have a porch around this outer room where people could come up and walk on the porch, and they would kind of leave the door open. And, and so what would happen is normal people would walk on the porch, kind of look and listen through the door to these elite Pharisees, these religious people have these crazy talks about politics and theology and all that stuff. And you say, why would people come for that kind of entertainment? Well, they didn't have Hulu and they didn't have Netflix and they didn't have the internet and they didn't have cell phones. This was kind of like their entertainment, if you will, of that day, right? It was kind of first century entertainment. And so here's what happened. Jesus gets invited to one of these parties and he showed up. Well, not only did Jesus show up, but someone else showed up that day that wasn't invited, all right? They weren't invited, and when this person walked into the party, everything, it was like the most shocking thing that had ever happened. All these pious Pharisees had this shock look on their face, and they hated every moment of it. It threw them a curveball. We pick up the story in Luke chapter 7, verse 37. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life. Let me pause there for a moment and just tell you that's code language for she was a prostitute. She was a prostitute. She wasn't invited to that meeting. A woman there in town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there, get this, with an alabaster jar of perfume. So imagine all these pious, high-level legalists, these Christian people gathered with just the who's who because they're better than everybody else in their minds. They're having these great debates and these high-level intellectual talks, and suddenly a call girl walks into the room. She didn't just look, she, she wasn't just like on the porch, like she came in to their meeting, and she is not welcomed. She's a sinner. Everybody knows her reputation. She was not invited. She was not welcomed. She's unworthy. She's kind of the lowest of the low. Now, I want you to kind of get in your mind, if you will. <laughs> Why was she there? What was going on? What motivated her? Because she knew people knew about her. Where she would weigh through all of the ridicule and probably the the voices calling out at her and the talk and people's mutterings behind the scenes. Why would she do that? I'll bet she never dreamed in all of her life growing up that she would become a prostitute. Think about it. I can guarantee when she was 12 or 13 and her mom let her have a sleepover at her house, right? All her girlfriends are coming over for a slumber party and they're all sitting around, they're eating junk food and they're talking about boys, and they're talking about life and all of a sudden they're playing truth or dare, whatever they did back then. I don't know if they did that back then. But all of a sudden they're talking, they're saying, hey, what are you gonna do when you grow up? Well, I'm gonna get married and I'm gonna have three kids and I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna get married and I'm gonna be a lawyer. I'm gonna be a doctor. I'm gonna sell Mary Kay. I don't know what they all did. But listen, I can guarantee you this young girl never said, when I grow up, I want to be a prostitute. 
when I grow up, I'm going to have a pimp and I'm going to be a prostitute. So how did she get there? If she never dreamed of doing that, it was like, how did you get there to the most shameful, dark, degrading place? I have some ideas. I don't know if they're true or not, but I just want you to let me be creative for a moment and you just follow this pattern. Maybe she grew up in a home where her parents were very distant. Maybe she had an uninvolved dad. Maybe her dad just was too busy always working to give her any time. She didn't really get the love and affection. Maybe early on because of that she had a little more free time than she needed and she made some bad decisions. She got wound up with the wrong people, the wrong crowd. Started going in a bad direction. Maybe worse than that, maybe she had an uncle. An uncle that had a twisted mind. An uncle that uh, baited her kind of in and became a friend to her. And he was taking a place of her dad. But then because his mind was twisted, she got confused. And he started to abuse her sexually. And it was their little secret. But then the older she got, she started to have more shame about that. More guilt about that. And she thought somehow it was her fault. And what would everybody think if they found out? And because of that, she was never secure in her identity. She started looking for love in all the wrong ways. Maybe, and I'm just thinking out loud, maybe both of her parents died early and somebody else had to raise her. Maybe she was the oldest sibling and she was like 14 or 15 and she had to have the responsibility of raising her younger brothers and sisters and maybe one of them was a baby and they started crying because they were hungry and she didn't have a way to get them any food and so she just reverted back to how she had been treated and she knew that there could be money made doing this and she did it because she hated every moment of it. But she did it to provide a living for her brother and sister. And she didn't see a way out. Maybe she was dating the wrong guy. He did what a lot of young guys will do, and that's say, hey, if you really loved me, you'd let me do this. If you don't let me do this, then I'm going to break up with you. And her self-esteem was so low, she just did it, and she got pregnant, and everything spiraled. We don't know for sure. We don't know her whole story, but I can guarantee you that's not the lifestyle she wanted. But there she was, and everybody knew. She didn't think anybody would really want her for the right reasons. You know what I know about this room right now? There's some folks on some degree that wrestle with those same thoughts. You've been told or believed you're almost your whole life you're not good enough. You've never really been invited. You've never really felt welcome. Can I tell you, outside of this building all across Adrian, there's people that feel the same way. They sit at home and they think, how did I get here? I never would have dreamed this would be my life. Divorced, bankrupt, not in contact with my own kids. I never thought I'd be here. That's this woman. She felt uninvited, unwanted. So what does she do? She's looking for hope. She walks into the Pharisee's party. 
Not only does she walk in where she's uninvited and not welcome, she walks right over to Jesus and she falls on her knees in a posture of worship. She breaks out a jar of perfume and she begins to pour it on Jesus' feet. Don't you know everybody's mouths were wide open? Now let me tell you why this is so significant. It's significant for two reasons at least. Because, first of all, perfume was a valuable possession to have. Most people, most women didn't have perfume. They couldn't afford it. The amount that that perfume would have cost would have been equal to a person's year's worth of wages. So why was she pouring it out? This was her savings. This is what she was to live on. But it was also a symbol of her future. Because perfume would have been like a business card or an advertisement. Because normal women didn't have that. They couldn't wear perfume. So if you were wearing perfume and a guy walked by you, the guy would notice and he would know, it. Well, you're available. You're one of those women. So it was a form of saying, you can hire me. But what she does with this perfume is an amazing act of worship. Is she extravagantly is worshiping Jesus and symbolically at the same time it represents her lifestyle but it's an act of repentance in this form as well. She's saying this is all I've got. This is the most important, prized, precious, valuable thing I have. And she's pouring it out on Jesus' feet in an act of worship. A cry of repentance. Look at verse 38. As she stood behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She's sobbing. All of this stuff is coming out of her. She's heard about Jesus somehow, some way, and believes he may have some hope that she's not had since she was a little girl. And she can't stop the emotion. And she's kissing his feet, and she's pouring out her perfume on his feet. And then she does something interestingly odd. She uses her long hair to wipe his feet. She didn't have a towel. Now I want you to know there's something significant about this. In that day, Jesus, listen, it would have been so inappropriate because first of all, a Jewish woman would have never, ever unbound her hair in public. Her hair would have been up. You would never show your hair down in public as a Jewish woman. She's so overcome with emotion, she's so caught up in worshiping Jesus, looking for some hope, that she doesn't have a towel, and so what comes to her mind is undoing her long hair and using that as a towel to wash his feet. And that's exactly what she did. Look at verse 39. The Pharisees were beside themselves. You, you can't even imagine, we can't even, I can't even do it justice of how shocked and put off they would have been. When the Pharisees had invited Jesus... That's Simon. Remember, Simon was the one that did it. When Simon the Pharisee saw this, I want you to watch this, he said to himself, notice he didn't say it out loud. It says he thought it in his mind. He said to himself, if this man, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she's a sinner. He, he, he's saying this can't be Jesus because he's no way he would let this woman, if he knew who she was and what she had done and what she's about, he wouldn't let her do that. So this can't be. And the fact that that's true proves that he's not the son of God, that he's not a prophet. And then I love this because Jesus gets a little bit cocky here. I love this. 
He basically responds, look what he says in verse 44 through 48. Basically what he does is he said, I just read your mind. And that's what he does. Look what Jesus says, verse 44, if you're following along here. Then Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman, Simon? I came into your house and you didn't give me any water for my feet. But she wet my hair with her tears. Wiped them with her hair. Simon, you didn't even give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't even kiss me on the cheek. She's been kissing my feet. Simon, you didn't put any oil on my head. She's pouring expensive perfume, enough of a year's salary on my feet. You're supposed to be the religious person. She's a lowest of low in your mind, right? And look what she's doing and look what you didn't do. Therefore, Simon, I tell you, her many sins have been for her many sins. I know who she is. They've been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, Pharisees, loves little. And then Jesus looks at this hurting woman and he says, your sins are forgiven. You're whole. I'm making you new. You're as white as snow. Here's a question I'd like to try to answer. Why did this woman risk and put herself through so much to get at the feet of Jesus? Think about it. Why? Why does she apparently go all the way across town because she's heard Jesus is in town and he's at a party, why would she be willing to walk past men who have, might have propositioned her in the past, that would proposition her as she walked town, that have mocked her, that have drug her name through the mud, walk past other women that said, keep, your, keep away from my husband, to go to a public place with this kind of a meeting going on, why would she do that? She obviously had heard something about Jesus. She might have heard about miracles. She might have heard about the hope. Whatever it was, it was luring enough for her to risk all this public ridicule, all this humiliation, all of the pain for a chance. Let me tell you what I think happened. Luke doesn't tell us directly exactly why, but earlier in this chapter, Luke does tell us on that day, on that same day, the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jerusalem and they came to ask Jesus some questions, but it doesn't go into what happened. But if you go back to Luke's gospel or to Matthew's gospel, it tells us a parallel version of what happened that very same day. And it talks about the day that John the Baptist came and, and the, with the disciples to question Jesus. And on that day, which would have been the exact same day of this party that was at the house of the Pharisees, do you know what Jesus gave as a message? You know what his message was? I'll summarize it and then I'm going to show it to you. Let me summarize it first. The same message on that same day that this woman went to that party. God's message was everyone's invited to God's family. All are welcome. And you can come as you are. 
Here's the exact passage, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29. Here was the message, the exact message that was spoken that day that she might have heard about. Come to me. All are welcome, right? Come to me. Come to me. You're invited. Come to me. All who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. That was Jesus' message. Can you feel his love? Come to me, those who are wrecked and are overloaded with guilt. Come to me, those who are burdened by shame. Come to me, those, listen, who are tired of lying to yourself, who have been living a lifestyle that you're not proud of. You find yourself in a place that you never, ever wanted to be. Come to me. Those of you that have been rejected again and again and again by people. Come to me, those of you that have been turned away by religion. You didn't have the right clothes. Don't come back until you're able to dress like us. Come to me when you feel guilt. Come to me when you feel like throwing in the towel because you have nothing left. Come to me when you've lost all hope and you're at your end of your rope. Come to me when you feel so desperate and you don't even know if you can go on. Come to me when you're overwhelmed and I will give you rest like you've never experienced rest. That verse goes on to say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart and get this, you'll find rest for your soul. I believe that's why she showed up. Because when you're at that point of your life, you'll go for anything that gives you some hope. This was hope at a new level. If you're taking notes, here we go. That was the introduction. No, I'm kidding. People in the booth and backstage are saying, it better not be a, just an introduction. No. Jesus invites the people others reject. Don't you ever, ever, ever forget. It's the heartbeat of this church. Jesus invites the people that others reject. That's what he does. He invites the people that don't believe they're good enough, that have been uninvited, that have been overlooked, that are overwhelmed, that are looking for hope, that have a reputation, that never dreamed of being where they're at in life, but here they are. And they think everyone and everybody knows and everybody is against them, and who wants to be with me? And Jesus says, I do. And Crossroads says, we are that place where it's okay not to be okay because we're not okay. Right? That's why we're going uptown. That's why we're going right in the heart of the city that God wants us to reach. We're going to be close to the east side, but you know what? We're in the heart of the city. So there's people on the east side that need this message, that need a place to hear of hope where they're welcomed and not judged. They're accepted. We need that on the east side. People on the west side need it. People on the north side need it. People on the south side need it. You know why? Because people need it. And those that don't think it, they need it even more. And that's what this church is about.
That's what we've always been about for 32 years. That's why we're investing millions of dollars in a building. No, it's not just a building. It's a place we can call home where we can build and we can design and we can plan with those folks in mind, people that are looking for hope and looking for love and looking for acceptance. That's what we're doing. Don't make mistake. Listen, I'm gonna, it's going to be fun. I'm going to love parts of that building. There's parts of the building I can tell you right now I'm not going to like and neither are you when you walk in because we're not done. We're not done. But I'll tell you what, you don't need the Taj Mahal when you're looking for hope. The key is not the building. The key is going to be those of us that move into that building that are understanding that we're on a mission. And that's why we're going to challenge you in this series. Those of you that have been sitting on the bleachers kicking the tires maybe for a long time, this is your chance to get to be a part of a move this time where you're a part on the playing field and you're making a difference and you're getting involved and God is using people like you and I to reach other people and give them some hope. That's what we're doing. We want to be a lighthouse in this community right in the heart of the community. doesn't matter who they are, where they've been, what they've done. You're still invited. Does it mean everybody's going to look the same as us, smell the same as us, act the same way as us? I hope not. Might it make us uncomfortable at times? Sure. But we can't forget that we're representing the God that said all people are welcome. Come to me and I'll give you rest. I can't provide the rest, but I can point people to Jesus who can. Remember the guy I told you about that got turned away because of his clothes? I made a decision that day that that wouldn't be the barrier here. You just come as you are. Just wear something. Let me tell you what we believe at Crossroads. I'm going to wrap this up pretty quick. Three things real quick. At Crossroads, you know what we believe? We believe all people matter. All people matter. All people matter. All people doesn't matter what side of the tracks they come from, what side of the country they come from, what direction they come from, Adrian, I don't care how old they are, how young they are, what color they are, what language they speak, they're welcomed at crossroads. You know why? Because that's the same people that are welcome in God's eyes. Every number. You know, we count people at crossroads because people matter, because people count. I had a pastor once say, I can't believe you. Oh, I hear about, oh, you guys count numbers. Oh, oh, you always know how many people are there. I said, let me ask you a question. He said, that's an ego trip for you as a pastor. I said, I, I, don't, I disagree. I said, let me ask you a question. Do you count your money? Do you count your offering? He said, every week. I said, are you saying your money's more important than your people? We count what's important, what matters, and there's nothing more matter in God's economy matters more than people. So every number, it's not just a number. You're not a number at Crossroads. You know what? Every number has a name. Every name has a story, just like this woman had a story. And every story matters to God. Every one of them. And here's the biggie for us and the biggie for you. If you know Christ personally today, can I tell you something that we believe at Crossroads? Found people, find people. Found people, find people. You know what? When, I, when the pastor on a golf course led me to Jesus Christ all the way back in the 80s in Texas, I didn't know it then, but now I was found. When I gave my life to Christ, now my business is about finding other people that don't know, telling my story to people that are looking for hope.
And you know what I know about every single one of you if you've already crossed the line of faith in Christ? You need to be finding other people. You need to be investing and inviting people. You need to be talking it up. You know why churches quit growing? Because people that are Christians quit telling their story. They quit inviting. They start to come to a place that they like and they know all the people there and they're fine and comfortable. We can't be comfortable as long as one person within driving distance of this church doesn't know Jesus. We've got to reach out. That's his business. And you know what? About 85 out of every 100 people that come to any church come because a friend invited them. Let me ask you, first time you came to Crossroads, how many of you, with a show of hands, you came because someone told you about it first? Raise your hand. Look around. Found people, find people. Do you get that? That's got to be the same thing. We can't drop the ball on that. If we don't invite, listen, they're not coming. If you don't invite, they're not coming because you know people I'll never meet. You work with people I don't know. So when you come to Crossroads, even next week, don't come alone. If you haven't invited somebody in the last couple of weeks, listen, that's too long of a stretch. Pray, God will show you people that you can invite. I told you, we're moving, but it's not about a building. But for those of you that have pledged for this project at the tune of one point million, thank you. For those of you that invested in people for 20 or 30 years at Crossroads, thank you for your tithes and your offerings because it's making a difference. For those of you that are just kind of on the sides and you say, I don't, maybe the church doesn't even need my resources, you are drastically wrong. There's a lot of things we want to do in that building that we can't because we still don't have enough resources, so there's not a better time to get on board. You can go to the What's Happening Center, get an Imagine Because People Matter magazine that talks all about it and join us join us in that project let me show you one picture of what's going on downtown this is a snapshot of the auditorium it's happening folks we got lights we actually have heat in there there's actually air conditioning we're not going to use it today but we've got that that's the new ceiling that's painted in a truss that's already been erected we're moving folks those yeah it's going to be fun it's going to be fun but we got to know why we're going can I just tell you this, and then I'm going to wrap it up. If building downtown and doing all that renovation and, and investing millions was just about those of us that are already reached, we would stay put. We'd just stay put. It's about who God yet wants us to reach, that we believe by having our own place where we can set up for every age group with those folks in mind we can do a job like we've never done in the history of 32 years at Crossroads Community Church. Will there be challenges? Absolutely. But this is the heartbeat of who we are. So thank you to every single one of you that's invested through the years. For those of you that have been kicking the tires, jump on board. You can be a huge part. And for those of you that come in every week maybe and you say, man, I love this place. I so want you to be on the playing field as we move because God's going to use you to reach other people that without you, we can't. The heart of Crossroads, it's the heart of Jesus. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's invited. Would you bow your heads with me? For those of us that are followers of Christ, God, thank you for stirring our hearts. I pray, God, that this just isn't a pep rally where we go out and we go and do everything the same. 
I pray that our heart bends more towards your heart, that we begin to see people in this community, not as inconveniences, not as people that are sluggards, not as people that don't think like us or look like us or smell like us or dress like us, but people that you love and want in your family. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, I pray that today you understand that no matter where you've been, what you've done, no matter how many times you've been overlooked, unwelcomed, uninvited, that you're invited to God's family. And you can be just like the woman that we read in the story today that has an awakening, that understands the direction they're going is the wrong way and that their only hope is in Jesus Christ who God so loved you that he sent his son to live and to die to pay for your sins. That if you put your faith in him, he will come inside when you invite him. He will forgive you of all your sins. He'll make you as white as snow from the inside out. He'll give you a brand new life and he'll adopt you into his family and that can never change. If that's you today, right where you're seated, make this your prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to be in your family and I admit that I'm not perfect. I've done some horrible things wrong. But I turn from that way of life today and I turn to you and you alone. I put my hope, my faith, and my trust in you. Forgive me of all my wrong. Come inside, take residence in my heart. And from this day forward, I belong to you. I've been adopted by you. That can never change. And my prayer is, God, use me to find other people and share my story. I say thanks, and I give you the praise because you deserve it. In your name, amen.